Welcome to Politics is Everything, the podcast of the Center for Politics at the University of Virginia. I'm Kara. Uh, I'm Kyle Kondik. I'm Miles Coleman. So good morning. How much sleep have you both had? <laughs> I don't think it was that late of a night. I mean, it took a while for Northern Virginia to get in, but uh, you know, I actually think Virginia is is pretty good about vote counting stuff. Certainly better than other states. Yeah, not not too bad of a night at all. In today's episode, we are looking at Tuesday's primary elections in Virginia, where the first time voters have encountered the state's new electoral maps that were drawn under the supervision of the Supreme Court of Virginia after a bipartisan panel appointed by the legislature failed to reach agreement. In Tuesday's primary elections, there were a total of 44 elections for House and Senate seats in Virginia. There were an additional six House and three Senate GOP conventions or fire House primaries earlier this spring. 24 House districts around the states held primary elections, with Republicans choosing nominees in nine of those districts and Democrats in 16. There was overlap in a single district, the 84th, um, for a competitive Suffolk area seat. In the Senate, Republicans chose seven candidates on Tuesday, while Democrats chose 15. Um, I think one of the biggest stories coming out of this is that five incumbent senators lost their primary contests. That's the total number of all senators who have lost a primary election since 1999. Kyle and Miles, what are some of your biggest takeaways from Tuesday's primary elections? Just as a little bit of an aside, if people are following Virginia, you know, from other states, um, the way that candidates get nominated is really, it's, it's, it's kind of strange, I guess, compared to other places in that, you know, it sort of depends on the year and the district and the parties in a given place to determine whether they want to have a primary or have something called a firehouse primary, which is like sort of an unofficial primary held at a few locations or to just have a convention. And so that's why you have a, a system where not every single race is on the ballot in this you know statewide state level primary. So if there was going to be a primary, it was on Tuesday. Um, but, you know, some places obviously were unopposed or they decided to hold some other uh, nomination um, a way of nominating. But um, just overall, there's just, you know, and the, and the maps contribute to this a lot. Um, there's just going to be a ton of turnover in the House of Delegates and the state Senate. Um, these are numbers from uh, Dwayne Yancey of, of Cardinal News wrote a good column about the uh, about the primaries. But um, they're, they're already going to be about at least a third of the House is going to be new of the 100 members. And at least uh, about forty percent of the of the uh, forty members of the state senate, and of course that could get higher um, if incumbents lose in, in the general election. So just a lot of just a lot of turnover and change um, in uh, in the state house and the state senate overall. Um, that that's just sort of my kind of kind of top level thought about about the overall state of things. Yeah, I mean, at the end of this last legislative session, you had a lot of, because of the maps, you had a lot of long-time incumbents stepping aside, you know, voluntarily retiring, you know. I think the big question going into this primary was how many involuntary retirements uh, were we going to get? Um, and you, it seems like overall the contest for the state Senate got sort of the most attention. And, uh, you know, we have at least five state senators um, who have lost their primaries. We have one, uh, Jerry M. McPike in the Prince William County area, who looks like he's hanging on, uh, but we'll, we'll see. Um, we can maybe get into this later, but you know, part of the, the primary, we, we probably would have had some turnover anyway this year because um, one of my other takeaways is uh, both of the parties are losing some of their 
kind of quote-unquote problematic members. Now, I think the uh, Richmond area is a very good example of that, where you have Joe Morrison, uh, who was a um, kind of a conservative dem uh, state senator, really getting blown out in his new district. Uh, and right about next door, you have Amanda Chase, who, uh, you know, was censured by the state house, or uh, by, the, the, uh, by her colleagues, uh, one of my favorite quotes that I saw last night on Twitter uh, was from uh, State Senator Tommy Norman uh, that you know he's especially happy you know in contrast to the Democrats where there was a lot of turnover. Uh, every member of the Virginia Senate, Senate Republican Caucus who sought renomination got it. Uh, the con- you know, why he can say that is Amanda Chase was you know basically chased out of her own. <laughs> caucus. She was an independent. So uh, anyway, I just wanted to get that in there. It speaks to kind of a larger point on the Republican side, which is that is that, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that it was like moderates winning the primaries. because I think the you know, generally speaking, the candidates were all pretty conservative. But um, it seemed like some of the kind of like Trumpiest people, people that uh, the, the I think the sort of party establishment didn't necessarily want. Um, you know, those those folks ended up losing. Uh, uh, I saw that uh, uh, Governor Yunkin, I think, was 10 for 10 on his yeah. uh, endorsements in, in the primary. So I think from a Republican perspective, I think they're pretty happy with the roster of candidates who got through. Yeah, I was going to raise that, too, that, you know, one of the things that everyone was closely watching was, you know, whether or not Yunkin was going to get the candidates he had hoped for going into the general election in November as he's seeking to gain total control, um, get a trifecta in terms of governance. Um, And most notably, he also did not wade into um, the Amanda Chase, (laughs) he did not endorse Amanda Chase, even though she had stumped for him uh, when when he ran for governor, Um, but he did not make any endorsements. He stayed out out of that race. The apparent winner there, Glenn Sturdivant, you know, he was uh, um, he ended up losing in 2019 in what ended up being kind of the key race that year that gave Democrats control of the uh, of, of the of the of the state Senate. And, you know, his district had kind of really had trended more toward the Democrats in the Trump era to the point where he lost by about 10 points to uh, uh, to, a, to a Democrat. And so Sturdivant decided to run this newly you know configured district that is not overwhelmingly Republican, but is definitely Republican leaning. And he sort of, you know, he, he definitely became kind of more of a conservative candidate in seeking that, that seat. But again, he's not a, uh, um, he, he's not as sort of a boisterous, certainly as, as, as Amanda Chase was, was. And I think there was, you know, some thought that if Chase had won, maybe the district would be on the sort of the periphery of the competitive map for the fall. And that doesn't seem like it's likely to be the case. It seems like kind of the place that maybe by the end of the decade, given some of the trends in the Richmond area, uh, maybe that could be sort of a, a competitive seat, but, but probably not in the context of the, of the 2023 election. One sort of national analogy I've been making to that for some of our followers who keep track of Congress um, is maybe a congressional equivalent of Sturdivant would be Daryl Issa because he was going to lose in a, in 2018. He was on track to lose a Hillary Clinton district in the uh, San Diego Orange County area. Uh, 2020 runs in a new seat, uh, kind of more San Diego, San Diego area, which is Republican, but not overwhelmingly. Uh, but to get it, he had to, to, to uh, win a close Republican primary. So uh, anyway, just something that popped into my head. 
another, another member I think of just as a comparison is like Pete Sessions uh, lost in yeah. 2018 in a, uh, to Colin Allred, who's now running for Senate in the Dallas area. And then uh, Sessions reemerged later in a different, different part of the state and is now back in Congress. Now, you know, uh, Certavant's district is is still gener- it's similar part of the part of the state and the you know greater Richmond area, um, but definitely different than um, th- than, the, than the sort of district he held before. Um, you know what what on the Democratic side, it definitely seems like progressives did fairly well in some of these races, although redistricting probably contributed to that. Uh, you know, Miles or Kerry, do you have any? What, what, how was you, what was your reaction to all that? Yeah, it's it's uh, you know. I would say, you know, you know, this was very much a race by race election. It was hard to come away with, you know, certain solid takeaways, I would say. You know, you know one of the instances, you know, up in northern, you know, one of the incumbents, uh, Senator Barker, um, who had like something like, you know, he was arguing that the uh, Supreme Court should be deferential to incumbents. Well, ironically, he got a very rough district that was like 90% new to him or something. Now, he lost, but it wasn't a blowout. It was four or five points. Uh, this is kind of in the western corner of Fairfax County. You know, one race that I've been following very closely. Uh, was in the Center for Politics uh, backyard in the uh, uh, Senate District 11, uh, where our um, where our state senator, uh, Senator Deeds, who was very much in the mold of a Mark Warner or a Tim Kaine, you know, mainstream center left Democrat, uh, being challenged by our. Um, are now to be former delegate Sally Hudson, uh, who ran as a more progressive candidate. Uh, Deeds ended ended up winning by three points. It was a close race, um, and you know just some of the metrics I'd be given to local media that really stand out to me about uh, about this district. Uh, and you know I think it probably speaks to some some of the other. Uh, races around the Commonwealth, especially for Senate, just in terms of how much money was spent. Um, so, if you look at, I think the like the pre-election, pre-primary fine finance reports came out a week or so ago. Um, if you put them, to, they raised about the same, uh, but overall it was about two million. Um, that's about what the candidates. Um, spent in our congressional race here last year in Virginia District 5. Now, of course, it wasn't the most competitive race, but um, you know, just to see spending on par with a congressional race really caught my attention. Um, and one other metric I'll throw out in that race, I was looking at turnout. Um, yep. It looks like something like 25, 26,000 votes were cast in this primary um, in the 2021 statewide prime primary, uh, when Terry May McAuliffe uh, got the Democratic nomination, you know, usually state, you know, elections with statewide primaries tend to draw more voters. Um, and in that year, uh, the current District 11 would have cast about 18, 19,000. So the fact that we got higher turnout than a statewide primary was really something that shows you how hotly competitive this seat was. I was just going to, you know, raise both of those metrics, both turnout and and fundraising um, for for this election as things that I was looking at. I mean, I, you know, it's hard to, and, and I think, you know, just to 
hone in on Miles's point that you really have to go uh, race by race or contest by contest, I think is really important. And there's just such a huge degree of variation in turnout across the state. Um, And looking at the past off-year election cycles, you know, we've seen a variation from two and a half percent to um, 15.7% across the state um, in, in 2019. Last night I looked county or I looked uh, uh, precinct by precinct and we had a variation of 2% in Chesterfield up to the high point, as, as Miles noted, was actually right here uh, in Charlottesville City at 23% and that was 18% in Albemarle. Um, so there was, you know, a pretty good, there was a pretty significant turnout in in uh, that in that district, but really low turnout, um, for example, uh, in in that in some of the Fredericksburg area Senate district um, races. You know, it was only five percent there, right? And that's going to be a race that a contest that we're going to want to watch looking uh, into the fall. Um, then also on the money side, you know, it seems to me. Well, one, I think an important note is that you know Miles has already said that 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 the Senate District 11 race was expensive, but overall, you know, there's been a significant amount of fundraising for legislative candidates, um, 22 million uh, uh, before, you know, we've, we've even finished uh, looking at the primaries um, with more than 8.8 million spent on ads, according to Ad Impact. Um, that's a 700% increase from the 2021 legislative contest. So, so that's pretty significant. And I think there's two big drivers there. One is Youngkin's pack, um, the Spirit of America pack, um, which, you know, has significant has raised significant amounts of money um, and then endorsed candidates uh, on, on behalf of Youngkin. And then also the Clean Energy pack. That's Michael Bill's funded pack. So so those two things are are most significantly driving um, uh, increases in both fundraising and spending and legislative races. I think it's the Spirit of Virginia pack, although if the, if the governor runs for president it'll be spirit of america it'll be spirit of america (laughs) Um, which is which is you know that is sort of a subtext of all this i mean yunkin is you know as as the sitting governor is clearly you know prioritizing winning you know trying to win these state you know state house and state senate majorities you know the republicans have narrow majority in the state house right now democrats narrow majority in the state senate um and uh you know i i mean i i I think most people view basically both chambers as effectively toss ups or that there, you know, that there aren't a, a ton of races that should be super competitive in the fall, but there are enough that it really could go um, either way. I don't know if either of you d- disagree with that. I mean, that's sort of, again, that's sort of how I'm looking at it. Yeah. Yeah. That's how, uh, that's how I've been describing it to people who have asked me about it. I mean, specifically the state Senate. Uh, I think these were Chaz Nuttycomb's ratings that, uh, as of now, like he has the Democrats favored in 20 seats, which is exactly half of the 40 seat state Senate. And of course, that's not enough to get them to a majority because Winston Sears is the lieutenant governor. She's going to side with the Republicans. So, yeah, I think going forward, the districts that I would watch, at least in the state Senate, uh, are District 31, which is uh, Loudoun County. Uh, that, or at least part of Loudoun County, that was a bought-in Taeyunkin seat, uh, open seat. Uh, in fact, there was a primary there last night on the downtown Democratic side, at least. Um, and then kind of in the Newport News area, Santa Termondi Mason is in, I believe, a single district Biden seat. It, it's 
Uh, you know, I think it went to, to Biden by a decent margin, but you know, it, it, it's it's just these off-year elections. You know, I wouldn't read too much, and you know, I think with Ferry Ferry Junior, the presidential number is something, but the off-year numbers often vary from from that. But anyway, one other district I would watch would be uh, District Twenty-Four, which is sort of in the Newport News area. Just the Democrats need to, to pick off one of those seats. Um, to get that uh, outright majority. Yeah, you know, I, I'm glad uh, Miles brought up the, the Biden and Yunkin numbers because, you know, I think if you, again, if you look at these from a national perspective, you look at like what the what the most people see as the competitive seats in Virginia and like Biden won basically all of them or, or almost all of them and often by more than his, uh, you know, but his national margin of four and a half, four and a half points. And given at the national level, you know, the alignment between, presidential results and sort of House and Senate results, you think, oh, why, you know, why are the Virginia chambers so competitive? But, you know, it's because in the off-year election, the, the, the electorate is just generally more kind of more Republican leaning, more conservative leaning. And, you know, yeah, a lot of these districts voted for Biden in 2020, but they also then voted for uh, Glenn Youngkin or or even if they stuck with Terry McAuliffe, it was by a much smaller margin than how they would have voted for Biden. Um, and so it's just a different kind of electorate in, in, in this sort of off off year where you don't have statewide elections um, guiding the turnout. Um, you know, you again, you, you, you on one hand, you might expect it to be more Republican leaning, although if in fact, like the you know the abortion issue is uh, is you know generates enthusiasm on the Democratic side, maybe that helps Democrats sort of even that out a bit. But but again, like just just as a caveat, like the Biden numbers don't really suggest the true partisanship of these districts in a in a you know in a twenty twenty three odd numbered year uh, turnout environment. Yeah, and then to Kyle's point, you know about Youngkin, you know what what I think is a bit of a question mark, and I've emphasized this is that. Now, Youngkin won, you know, before Roe was overturned. You know, had you know, had he run after, I don't know if the result would would have been different if uh, if maybe McAuliffe would have actually pulled that race out. But point being, uh, you know, even if McAuliffe did end up win win in that race and say a post Roe environment like twenty. 22 was, you know, I'm not sure it would have been by the 10 points that Biden carried Virginia by. That's yeah. I, I, I think that, I think that's right. It's a, it's totally, it's totally fair open question, but um, it still would have been, it still would have been closer than, 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 than the presidential had been. And also, you know, just as to sort of look ahead here, you know, if Republicans win the, the state house and the state Senate this year, it doesn't necessarily mean that, or it doesn't, I don't think it means that Virginia is like a toss up for president. I think it's still a, Repub- a Democratic-leaning state at the federal level. Um, it's just that the state is competitive enough that Republicans are certainly capable of winning statewide races. They did in 2021 um, and you know, winning one or both um, of, the, of the state legislative chambers. I think it's going to also be interesting. Kyle, you raised the issue of abortion, and we did see that playing out in a number of – that the issue of abortion playing out in a number of primary uh, contests. Um, yeah. Again, there, you know, looking back to the Wisconsin state Supreme Court race, um, the issue of reproductive rights really drove turnout there. Um, you know, we, we saw that a little bit in Virginia, but I don't think that was 
necessarily a central driving <laughs> uh, force for for mobilizing turnout. Um, you know, some people are are making that you know one of the key issues in the in the the Morrissey aired race, but you know there, there were other there were pro- there were problems with the candidate himself. <laughs> there were problems yeah. with Senator Joe Morrissey himself. So I, I really you know would kind of caution. I've I've seen some national headlines saying you know like oh reproductive rights are going to continue to play a central you know role and and I'd really kind of caution against that that narrative at this point. Yeah, look, I think that I think the, the the way to look at it is like Democrats hope that that uh, that reproductive rights are a really big deal in the fall. Um, and you know, it, it may be that they're able to make a compelling case that that is that is true because if in fact the Republicans win both chambers and you know you would you would expect they would do something about abortion that Democrats would oppose. What that exactly would be, um, you know, it's 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 hard to say. It's hard to say specifically, but you know, there's talk of like a like a fifteen week ban and and but you know again the um but so that's the I'm sure that Democrat that's what Democrats are going to want to run on. Um, it's just, again, it's not, it's not totally clear as to, as to how, uh, how, how, um, effective of a message that, that will end up being. But, uh, but again, it probably at least more effective than it was for McAuliffe in 2021, who was talking about it a lot, but there, but again, as Miles said, Roe hadn't been overturned yet. And so it was more theoretical. Well, it's, it's less theoretical now. It's, it's more, it's, it's more real. I think one other point I wanted to also bring up for, for Virginia is that we had a historic number of black candidates running. And so that's, that is a great amount of progress. And we're going to see a growth in the Virginia legislative black caucus, regardless of the partisan outcomes around the state um, uh, in the fall. And so I wanted to note that that, that sort of historic marker as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And, you know, you did see, I mean, uh, you know, part of, part of one of the, the kind of the framings on the democratic side was like kind of, older white male Democrats being challenged by, by sort of younger, more progressive people. in, in some instances who were, you know, were not old, old white men, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and a number of those candidates had, had success. Now, granted, you know, redistricting, I think had, had a, had a role in that, but, um, but, but there was sort of a, a changing of the guard there, you know, uh, a changing of the guard there, uh, there, there too. And, you know, again, you like miles brought up how like Cree deeds is sort of in the, almost like the, Tim Kaine, Mark Warner mold. Um, but, you know, he got, he got pushed by someone, you know, to, to, to his left and like that, maybe that's sort of more representative of, of the future. Um, you know, that the, 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 the Senate, the Senate race that, you know, in the district that covers Charlottesville, Albemarle, um, there was a reporting error at one point in the night. And so it looked like Deed was actually going to win by a lot. Um, but what, what apparently happened is that someone entered or however the numbers got entered, um, uh, Sally Hudson, the, ch- the challenger, um, her uh, early in-person vote total in Albemarle County, which is the county that, that surrounds Charlottesville on all sides, um, it was entered as 249 votes and she actually got 2,049. So for a little while there, it was like, what's going on here? And, and uh, you know, that so it, it did end up being relatively close. I think the margin is for deeds by about three. So not like razor thin, but but still still very close. He, she really wasn't that far to his left, right? Like he's a pretty. <laughs> well, he, I think he, mo- I think he moved, um, you know, sort of in response to the new district, and also, um, yeah, and, and also, um, you know, in response I mean, he's, to he's been race. like pro reproductive rights this whole time, you know. So there, there really wasn't mm-hmm. much room to make distinctions. Like mm-hmm. the only distinction, you know, she was really able to make towards the end was on the issue of of gun violence. Mm-hmm. Um, well, 
Well, Kyle and Miles, it's been fun talking about Virginia elections. Yeah, and we'll be, yeah. uh, you know, we'll try to keep tabs on this, uh, you know, going forward because, you know, I mean, there are there are a, a few important state level races across the country, but, um, you know, Kentucky governor, uh, Louisiana governor, Mississippi governor, but uh, in terms of, you know, state legislative races, I think Virginia is probably going to be, uh, um, you know, one of the most watched across the country. Or New Jersey. <laughs> but glad we live in Virginia. <laughs> All right. Thanks both. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of Politics is Everything. Editing and production was done by me, Kara Ong Whaley. Our theme song is Let's Boogie by Chris Faze. You can learn more about the Center for Politics and its work to strengthen democracy on our website at centerforpolitics.org. You can also engage with us on social media at center number four politics. We welcome your suggestions and questions for future episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.